The Bible records a series of events in Daniel chapter 6 that's laced with intrigue and sabotage and scandal. It all begins when the king appoints, decides to take his kingdom and divide it into three zones. And then he appoints one overseer over each zone. Well, one of these overseers is crushing it. He's amazing. He's leading with integrity. He's causing the prosperity of his whole zone to go up. He is causing tax revenues for the king to go up. And he's causing crime to go down and all the undesirable measurements to go down. And everyone notices. The king notices. And the other two rival overseers notice. And the king starts rumors and rumbles of this concept of that he is going to make Daniel, this one overseer that's crushing it, over all three of them. And they're going to have like another middleman. Well, the other two overseers are not happy about this possibility. And so immediately they begin a plot to stab Daniel in the back and get him removed so that they don't have another boss. And so they try to look at Daniel and his work and his, his area that he's reigning over with a microscope, with a fine-tooth comb. They, they, they look at every little detail and they magnify everything to try to find a mistake of which they can accuse him before the king. But the more they dig into it, the more they find that Daniel is an upright man full of integrity. And so convinced that they have to somehow sabotage Daniel so that they can elevate themselves, they decide to go after Daniel's relationship with God. And specifically, they decide they're going to go after his desire to pray. And so they go to the king, and I don't know if the king is really not all that bright or if he just truly likes having his ego stroked. But they go to the king, and, and they throw out this line of bull crap, and they basically say, oh, king, you are so magnificent. Oh, king, you are so great and wise. No one should have to go to anyone and ask for anything except before you, our majesty. You should make a law, in fact. You are so great. You are so wise and powerful. You should make a law that says, if any one of your subjects in your kingdom be so silly as to go before anyone else and ask for something, human or divine, that they should be executed. And the king, he kind of is intrigued by this idea because it strokes his ego, because it makes him feel awesome. And so he eventually is convinced and he makes a law and he writes it in stone, a law that cannot be changed. And he makes the law and the law says that no one for 30 days can ask any request of anyone in the kingdom except the king himself. That no one can pray or ask anyone for anything, no ask a God or ask another person for anything. And he proclaims this law with a penalty of execution to the entire kingdom at the advice of the two overseers. Well, Daniel, obviously, here's the decree. He knows the new law and he says to himself, I believe in prayer. I believe in prayer, I ask my God for things on a daily basis. In fact, it was well known, that's why the overseers targeted this, that Daniel went three times a day 
and, and went to a private place and got down on his knees and prayed. And it was well known that Daniel would cry out to God and intercede for his people. It was well known that Daniel in these moments would make huge requests of God. And everybody knew that was his reputation and that's why the overseers made up this silly law and the king bought into it and attached the death penalty to it. Daniel, knowing the law, said, I nonetheless will pray anyways. I will go on my knees as I have always done. Even though these two men are trying to stab me in the back, I'm gonna be who I am without regard to consequence. And so Daniel went to his home where he always went and he got on his knees as he always did and he lifted up his request and he prayed to God. And these two overseers that were after him saw him do it, drug him before the king and accused him of praying. And Daniel did not deny it, he admitted it. He was like, yes, I pray every day, three times a day. As I have always prayed, I continue to pray and your law won't stop me from praying. I am going to pray. And the king was sad because he liked Daniel. Because Daniel was crushing it and running his zone and administrating the kingdom and, and making the king richer and making the king look better. And so the king was sad by it, but said, well, sorry about it. Execution is the penalty. And you all know the rest of the story is that Daniel was taken and he was thrown into a den of lions to spend the night where it was assumed that these hungry lions would devour him and kill him. But here's what I want to ask you. What did Daniel know? What did Daniel know that was so great about prayer that he would risk death just to do it? What would Daniel know about prayer? What is so valuable about prayer that Daniel would say, I don't care if you throw me in a cave filled with hungry lions, I am going to go and pray. What did Daniel think would happen as a result of his prayers that he chose to pray anyways in spite of the consequence? I believe that Daniel knew that history belongs to the intercessor. I believe that Daniel knew his job, however important as a right-hand man of the king, that his job was not as important as intercession. I believe that he realized his schedule, no matter how busy it really was, was not as important as intercession. And here's another question that I feel compelled to ask you all. It is this, do you truly pray regularly enough that if there was a law stating you couldn't pray for 30 days, it would really affect you? Do you truly pray regularly enough in your life that if some leader made a law, you can't pray for 30 days, that you would even notice or be affected or have to even make a decision about your prayer life? Or are you like most of us who in the gut level, honest place of ourselves have to say, I barely pray at all. I mumble a prayer over a meal under my breath, but no one would notice me praying. 
I could certainly skate under that law for 30 days without anyone being able to tell. But there was something so valuable about prayer to Daniel that he said, even though it costs my life, I must pray again. I want to read a verse from the Bible that is shocking to me. And this is a verse, and it's speaking about God. And here's what it says, Isaiah 59, 16. And he, meaning God, and he saw that there was no man and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. God was astonished. God was shocked. God was, another translation says, horrified that there was no one to intercede. And God saw that no man, no one, no man, no woman, no one was truly interceding. And that astonished God. Why? Why was God shocked that there was no one to pray? I believe that God was shocked because God knows that history belongs. History is shaped. History is changed by the man or the woman or the student who will intercede. And I believe God was shocked in Isaiah 59 when there was no one to be found in that generation who would intercede because God knows that history is shaped by he or she who will pray passionately. And God was shocked because that prayer is easy to do. God knows how simple it is to actually shape history through prayer. And he was shocked that no one took up the challenge. No one took up the burden. No one took up the responsibility in the generation of Isaiah. And so God makes a statement that he was, he was astonished that no one was found to intercede. Intercession, interceding, that's a fancy term. It means to pray in a manner that stands in between, to intervene, to stand between, to stand between God and man and block judgment. To stand between God and man and block judgment or to stand between God and man and facilitate blessing. Intercession means to stand in between. And God was astonished that no one with their prayer would stand in between God and facilitate the blessing that he wanted to unleash in a generation in Isaiah 59. He was astonished that not one could be found who would stand in between. Guys, I believe that right now in this day, in this room, that God is raising up a standard. It's a new day. It's a new season. And I believe God is searching this very room and saying, who will stand? Who will intercede? Who will stand in between me and facilitate blessing? Who will stand in between me and plead for the stay of my judgment in this generation? And I believe that it's a new era in 4640. Something's changing, something's shifting, and God is looking and searching and asking you this question. 
Will this generation be a generation that has no one to intercede? Or will some stand in this gap and make intercession between God and their generation? Genesis 18 tells a a, a beautiful picture of intercession. And Abraham is talking to God. And God says to himself, because how many of you know there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So God says to himself, I am going to bring my judgment against a particular two-city region. It's called Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to bring my judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah. But there was a man, a friend of God, the Bible describes him as, who lived near the area. And this man was God's friend. And God says to himself in the scriptures, in in chapter 18 of Genesis, it's recorded that God says, will I act without telling my friend Abraham what I intend to do? Will I really destroy two cities near his hometown without like discussing it with my friend Abraham? And so there's a conversation between God and Abraham. This would be like God saying, I intend to devour Denver and Boulder with a wildfire. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't devour Denver and Boulder with a wildfire without letting my friend Devin, who lives nearby in Grand Junction, know of my intention. So I'm going to talk to Devin about my intention to devour these two major cities in a fire. And so God has a conversation with Abraham, and he's like, hey, Abe, what do you, what do you think? I'm thinking about, like, calling down some fire from heaven and, like, devouring two entire cities nearby you, Sodom and Gomorrah. What are your thoughts? intercession. And Abraham says, well, well, God, man, there's a lot of people that live in Sodom and Gomorrah. Like, would you really devour? Would you really burn them? I mean, what if, and God's like, they're evil. There's some evil folks that live in Sodom and Gomorrah. There's all kinds of immorality. They have no regard for my truth. They, they spit in my face. They, they, they totally disregard everything I've taught. He's like, yeah, this evil, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy him. What do, what do you think, Abraham? And Abraham goes, okay, okay, wow, um, give me a second. Um, What if, God, what if there were 50 righteous people in all of Sodom and Gomorrah? Would you still, like, consume them from fire with heaven? I mean, 50 good guys in the, the, you know, huge city, 50, would would you? And God goes, you know what, that's a good point, Abraham. If there's 50 righteous people, I won't burn them up. Do you think God didn't know if there was or wasn't 50 people? Of course he knew, right? But he lets an intercessor, he lets a prayer warrior actually negotiate for blessings for his people. So God says, you're right, Abraham. If there's 50 righteous people, I will not consume the cities with fires from heaven. Okay, you got, all right, you're right, 50. Well, then Abraham must think to himself, well, well, shoot, what if there's only so he, seriously, he says, well, God, um, what, what if there's only 45? I mean, would you really kill a whole couple cities over like five people not being righteous? That seems a little extreme. Like, could you, would, you, would you stay your judgment? And would you give him another chance if there was just 45? And God says, yes, I would. I would stay my judgment if there's just 45. 
Well, Abraham continues the process of interceding. He's standing between God and a people group and he's asking, he's pleading for mercy. And he's like, but God, what if there was only 40? And what if there was only 30? And what if there was only 20? And what if there was only 10? The conversation continues. And each time God says, okay, if there's only 40, there's only 30, there's only 20, if there's only, if there are 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, I will not allow the judgment to come. Intercession. History belongs to the intercessor, to the person who will stand up and say, God, won't you bless my generation? God, won't you heal my school? God, won't you set my friends free from depression? Right, Junction High School? Won't you set my friends free from this empty, won't you bless my generation with a desire to fulfill your word? God, won't you save? Won't you save? Intercession. And in Isaiah 59, God was astonished because there was no one in a generation who was willing to intercede. Abraham literally negotiated with God to stay judgment and facilitate blessing upon an entire region, upon an entire people group, upon an entire generation. Let's get real. Anybody too busy to save a people group? Anybody too popular to rescue a region, two major cities? Anybody too important doing anything to save people from destruction? God is looking for somebody, somebody's who will say, I will stand in between God and people. I will stand in between and then I will plead for mercy and I will ask for a stay of judgment and I will request and cry out to God for a facilitating of blessing to come to the people in my generation, to the people in my city, to the people in my country. I'll stand in that generational gap and I'll pray and I'll intercede. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18, and I tell you, Peter, you are, the, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I want you, let's leave this verse up there because I want you to get a picture of this verse. I want you to visualize this verse. The first thing you visualize is that on this rock, he's going to build his church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. What is a gate? A gate is a defense mechanism. If you have a gate, it's because you have a wall. And then you have to have a gate to let someone in. And a gate really is a place where, where you can lock the door so no one can come in without your permission. 
That's what a gate is. And this verse says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What's the it? In the verse, look at it. What's the it? Go ahead. The church. The gates of hell shall not prevail or win over the church. And what's the church? It's not the building, it's the people. If you have a relationship with Christ, you, we are the church. Every believer in every tribe and tongue and every nation of the world is the church, Jesus church. And together, we are on offense against the gates of hell. We literally, through our prayer, Jesus is saying that our prayers can cause us to make a mad run into and bust through the gates of hell and grab back people, souls, from hell and drag them into the kingdom. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of God. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the prayers of the church of Jesus Christ. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the solitary prayer of a sophomore from Central High School. The gates of hell are not strong enough to stand up against the prayer of the intercessor. Because prayer will literally fling open the gates to hell. Not so they can come after us. They're on the defense. They have a wall. They have a gate because they are afraid of us and our prayers. And so our prayers fling open their gates so we go in and take back ground and take back territory and take back people that belong to the kingdom of light. So we need to get a picture of this verse. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is talking and he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This idea of binding and loosing, I want you to think of it like this picture right here. Let's imagine Sean as a person whom we are praying for, okay? We are the people that are praying, and we're represented by Will. So we are praying for Sean, and we look at Sean, and we can see that Sean is tied up with addiction and sickness and depression. These have bound and tied up Sean, And so even though he doesn't want to be, he finds himself addicted and he finds himself covering his depression with his addictness and he finds finds himself getting sick from his addiction and what it causes. And so he's all tied up from these things. Now, when we, the intercessor, when we, the church of God, pray, what begins to happen is that the Sean's in the world get loosed from addiction. They get loose when we say, in the name of Jesus, God, I'm asking you to loose, to set free my friends who carry the weight of addiction. You're untying them 
from how the enemy has bound them up. And when we say, God, that they would be set free from sickness, that they would be set free from that, we're untying those ropes that are, that are chaining them up, that are limiting them. We're setting them, we're loosing them from those things. We're loosing them as we intercede, as we pray from, from a spirit of depression, from a sadness that they cannot control that's gripping them. We're, we're asking God through our prayer to, to cut that tie and set them free from the power of depression. And so all of a sudden, this person that was bound up by things that you can't even really see, but you can see the fruit of it, can you tell if someone that you love is addicted? Yeah. Can you tell if someone you love is sick? Yes. And so when we begin to pray and intercede and we loose them, Jesus said that if we will loose them, that whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven because we have the keys and our prayers can storm the gates. And likewise, whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So we loose them from the junk in their lives or in our own lives for ourselves. We loose them from the junk we don't want and we bind them to what they need, what they do want in their life. And so when we bind people, we bind them to truth and we say, in Jesus' name, I ask that you would bind my generation to truth, that they would not be confused, they would not be deceived, but that they would be bound to truth. And in doing so, we tie them to truth. Whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven. We, we tie them to peace. We ask that God would give them peace that passes understanding. And we pray these things and we ask God to unleash these blessings and tie these blessings. Is there anyone in this room that would not want their whole life wrapped up in peace? Of course we would want that. And so does everyone we come in contact with. And so we have to make these decisions to begin tying these things to their lives. If they're sick, we ask God to, to loose the sickness and tie on or bind them to physical health or mental health. We begin to tie these things onto their life. And Jesus says that his church, not a building, a people group, has the power and the authority and responsibility to loose and to bind, to, to set free and cut free from the garbage and to tie them to the things that they're needing in their life. And who does that? The intercessor. The one who God is astonished that there are so few of. That's who sets us free. That's who sets our generation free. We've been given the keys. The power is right at our fingertips to loose and to bind, but so often we do not use it. We have to pray. We have to. Because lives literally depend on our prayer. Lives literally depend on our intercession. So here's what usually happens. We pray a prayer and we say something like, God, please help me to have a good day at school. And that's a good prayer. It's a, it's a fine prayer. It's an 
average prayer. There's nothing wrong with that prayer. You can pray that prayer. I've prayed a similar prayer many, 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 many times. But what if? What if you prayed more specifically? With every prayer that you prayed, you got as specific as you could. So instead of saying, God, help me have a good day at school, what if your prayer looked like this? God, cause me to have favor with my teachers and my classmates and open my eyes and my ears so that I can be taught and give me supernatural success with my learning. Give me wisdom to make excellent decisions. What if your prayer got so specific that you said, God, help me to avoid temptation and put the right friends into my life today and remove the wrong friends from my life and protect me at school today and bless me to take and be a witness for you and keep me safe from all the plans of the evil one. What if instead of saying cute, nice, simple prayers like help me have a nice day at school today, what if we got specific about what we really needed about what we were really asking God for it's really not that much harder it's not that much different I'm not saying that took an hour that took like 10 seconds versus 40 seconds but what if we took it just one step further and what if we prayed specifically in the details but what if we made our prayer big? And I mean big. Because something that God has been speaking to me recently is define who you're praying for. So I can pray for myself. Like, help me have a good day at school. And I can get specific for myself. But what if I said, God, I pray for myself and every other student in 4640. Every other student who's ever come to 4640 even one time in their life. And then we prayed the exact same prayer. Our prayer went from this big to this big. But what if, what if we took it even bigger and we said, God, I pray for myself and for the students of 4640, anyone who's ever come in the history of 4640 and for every student at my school who has ever walked the halls of my high school, no matter how old they are now. God, that you, and then we prayed the exact same specific prayer. What if we took that, that target and said, it's not just about me, but it's about this much bigger group of people. Can God hear that same prayer as accurately if we make it bigger? Of course. And so I think part of what God is, is planning in 4640 to, to create vision among us is to stop praying cute prayers and to start praying specific prayers and to stop praying little prayers and start praying big, huge prayers. What if we prayed for every high school student in every high school in the nation at the same time? What if we prayed for every high school student in every nation on the planet and we prayed the exact same prayer?
And so we start off in the morning instead of God, help me have a nice day at school with our cute prayer. We pray specific and we pray big. And we say, God, let every high school student in every city, in every country on the planet avoid temptation today. Let no evil come against any high school student in any high school on the planet today. Let no evil plot of the enemy unfold against anyone in my generation. And what if we said, God, that they would all hear your gospel. They would all have a heart to learn the natural stuff at school, but the spiritual truths that will save their life. What if we prayed big, 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 prayers guys God not only hears them just as easily but favors them greatly because now it's not about us it's about a generation I truly believe that no prayer we can pray is too big instead of praying for ourselves as a youth group 4640 what if we prayed for every youth group preaching the gospel in the world at any time in history from the day of Jesus Christ through to his return whenever that may be I mean could we pray the exact same prayer could God transcend time and space could God supernaturally multiply our little prayer from like one student in Grand Junction, Colorado who says, I will stand and I will intercede. I will facilitate blessing from God to my generation. I will facilitate and I will ask God to stay his hand of judgment from my generation. All of them at the same time. Could one student stand and say, I will pray big prayers. I will pray specific prayers and I will see history be made and history be rewritten. How many Columbines didn't happen because someone prayed? What if that someone is you for your generation? God is looking for students who will stand, and who will pray specific, who will play, pray big, who will get passionate, even though it's hard and we're all busy, and there's all these other excuses who will say there is nothing, nothing more important, nothing more important than intercession for my generation. I'm not too cool and I'm not too popular and I'm not too shy and I'm not too unimportant or important or too tall or too skinny or too fat or too anything to stand for my generation and intercede. And guys, I believe that this is a new day and today is a new day where God is calling us as a local body, as, as 4640 students to take a stand and say, I will pray. So that when God searches our generation, it's not like Isaiah 59 where God says, astonishingly, there is no one who's interceding. And he'll see us and he'll see that we're interceding. And you know what? It's not always easy and it's not always convenient, but it changes the course of history. It storms the gates of hell and grabs back people on the brink of destruction and drags them back to truth.
that's the call. That God is calling you. Who will stand? Who will pray? If you'll stand and if you'll pray, I want you to come down. We're gonna have a time where we just start practicing this idea of what it means to truly intercede for a generation. So I want you to come down if you're willing to be one who will stand. I want you to separate a little bit from your friends. I want you to find a space, find a space. Now this is not a spectator sport. I'm sorry if somehow church taught you that that prayer was stand quietly while everyone listens and one person prays. That's not how it works. We're standing between God and a people group and we're asking for mercy and we're pleading for blessings and we're interceding. So there are no observers in intercession. There are only participants. No one's on the bleachers. Everyone is in the game. So we're gonna begin to pray. And when I say we, I mean all of us. Can you pray in your head? Yes. However, I challenge you not to. Because here is the truth. When you pray in your head, you end up thinking about what you're praying about. And then you're praying about your friend at lunch today at Taco Bell. And then all of a sudden you're like, mmm, Taco Bell. I think I would want to go to Taco Bell after youth service tonight. And I'm going to have some of those delicious cinnamon twists. And then do, 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 do. And all of a sudden you're just like zoned out. And then you come back and you go, oh, intercession probably changes history, but it's boring. Because that is boring because you're thinking about Taco Bell and nobody's life's being changed. But if you pray out loud and you're, you're praying for your friend and all of a sudden you think about lunch and you think about the Taco Bell and then you're not gonna say out loud, I want cinnamon twist because there, there will be a certain aspect of you that goes, that is embarrassing. I'm not gonna say that. And so you, you discipline yourself to refocus and go back to praying. And then you pray more and more and more. And what will motivate you to intercede for a lifetime is that you will begin to see miracles because you pray. You'll begin to see God having those conversations with you and bringing mercy to your generation instead of judgment. You'll begin to see blessings being unleashed on the people around you because of your prayers. And nothing is more thrilling than the taste of life-changing intercession. There's nothing you can do with your time. There's no activity, no hobby that will like rock you and shock you and change you more than when you pray for someone and their whole life gets turned around. That's not gonna happen because of a cute prayer where you get distracted by Taco Bell. That's gonna happen because of intercession. So we're gonna intercede and we're all going to pray and we're all going to pray out loud. And we're, not, we're gonna pray specific and we're gonna pray big specific and big so pray every detail you can think of about the topic that we're going to put up on the screen and i want to challenge you to do two things one find a time every day maybe it's only two minutes at a time but find a time every day where you are going to intercede for something specific and something big every day by yourself Maybe you're gonna intercede for the orphans of the world. Maybe you're gonna intercede for those who are caught in sex slavery. Maybe you're gonna intercede for whatever it is, the lost, 
a certain country, all the countries, whatever, big and specific, but, but intercede for something. And this is the other thing, and this is a crazy, crazy thing to say, but I believe this is true. I believe that something, something massive just changed in the world because of what we just did. And I wanna challenge you. Like, I wanna challenge you to watch the news because you will see something in the next seven days on the news and your jaw will hit the ground and you will remember this moment and you will say, I, we prayed for that and that happens, okay? But we all gotta watch the news and when you see it, Come and tell one of the 4640 pastors. Maybe you're gonna see a certain leader of ISIS was taken out of leadership. Maybe, and you're gonna go, whoa, we prayed about that. Or maybe you're gonna see a huge new initiative to feed the poor. I don't know what it's gonna be, but I want every one of you to be watching because I believe God is gonna show a handful of you an example of something that literally changes the planet that you just prayed for this week, just now, tonight. And you've gotta be able to be bold enough to like tell me or tell one of the pastors, and you gotta be alert enough to be watching the news to know what it is that's going on in our country. Because this is, this is the fabric of who we are now. 4640 is made up of intercessors. Okay, well there's a lot of things we're gonna do and a lot of things we are, but a core, value, a core descriptor of us is we, 4640 High School, we, we change the planet. We change history. Because we intercede, because we intercede personally and we intercede together, okay? Now I feel like we could like hang out here and pray for like another hour or two and um, that would be awesome. Also, it's a school night and moms might be mad. This isn't done. This is who we are forever now, okay? So take this spirit of intercession that has come upon you tonight. Did you guys feel that? Was that amazing? Are you a different person? Take that with you, practice it daily, and get yourself back next week. We'll intercede from 5.30 to 6. We'll intercede during our service at some point or multiple times at some point. I don't know what God's gonna do, but let me pray a blessing over you. God, I bless these students. I bless these students with the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. And God, I ask that you, the work you began in us tonight collectively and corporately would run its course till its completion the day that you, Jesus, return. I pray supernatural blessings upon my students in their friendships, in their studies, in their finances, in every relationship they have. God bless them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love you guys, we all love you guys. Connect with your small group leaders, see what you guys are doing as a small group, and we will see you next Tuesday night. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.